Today on the podcast, my guest is Alison, who shares her fascinating story of how she was miraculously healed by God of anorexia and bulimia, as well as depression and other health issues associated with her eating disorders. According to the NEDC, which is the National Eating Disorders Collaboration, about 16% of Australians are affected by eating disorders and are associated with higher rates of mortality than the general population. Alison's problems started at age 14 and continued until she was 26 and despite seeking medical intervention. She tells of her experience of receiving the Holy Spirit and how in that moment she felt instantly different, going from a pit of despair to feeling happy and being able to eat again. Today, Alison is a mother and a grandmother and thanks God for putting her back together, giving her life back and giving her purpose and direction. Just a quick warning about the content. We obviously believe in the ability for God to heal all manner of physical, emotional and mental illnesses. However, if you need immediate help regarding mental health, in Australia contact Beyond Blue Support Service via phone on 1300 22 46 36 or visit www.beyondblue.org.au or contact Lifeline on 131114 or www.lifeline.org.au. If you're not in Australia, then please see your general practitioner, local mental health service, or your local hospital emergency department. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is episode 36 of Revival on the Air Today. Enjoy. Alison, welcome to Revival on the Air Today. Thank you. We've known each other for a few years, haven't we? Yeah, we've known a long time. Since I was a 12-year-old, I reckon. Oh, you were, young, was, you were younger. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> so that was, that was only yeah. only a few years ago now. It was, yeah. But your journey with God started, I think, when you were in your 20s. What? Yeah, I, I was 26 mm-hmm. when I was first told the full gospel. Well, oh. actually, I wasn't told the full gospel message. Someone who I had been brought up with yeah. um, and I'd had a lot of time with knocked on my door one day at the hovel that I happened to be living in at the time. <laughs> and what does a hovel mean? <laughs> what is a hovel? This it was it was two rooms on the side of a really old house on Anley Road. It had a lean to kitchen and shower and a copper. What's for, a co- what's a copper? Don't you know what a Oh, good grief. Oh, that's a, for, I know what a copper is, a but copper. What a, our audience yeah, probably doesn't know a what a copper, copper is. It's a, big, it's a big round thing that people in the olden days used to wash their clothes. You know, you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and boil the water yes. and, and then put everyone's clothes in and then you had a big stick and you'd, you'd churn it around. And I'd never had a washing machine. It didn't occur to me to buy a washing machine. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> so I had this copper. And um, the outside loo. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I paid $12 a week, <laughs> and it was all I could afford because I had a good job. There was nothing wrong. I had good job, good money for the, you know, for the time, but my addictions took my income. Yeah, right. So, you know. So, so let's talk about those. So what were your addictions at the time? Well, I, I had an eating disorder, mm-hmm. anorexia. I also had bulimia at and, the time. And so when did that start? How old were you when that started? I I think I was around the age of 14. Yeah, right. And I remember I was in boarding school, yeah. so we went to a boarding school in Adelaide and we'd go home for the holidays. And in the in the boarding house, there were 120 of us, and um, 
it was communal cooking, so it was a lot of carbohydrate. Yeah. And I put on enormous amounts of weight. I was 12 and a half stone when I was about 14. And I really, really hated it. I looked at all these kids at school and they were skinny and I really wanted to be skinny yeah. and I wanted to be able to buy things off the rack and look nice and blah, blah, all that stuff. But anyway, we were home for the holidays and I had this blue dress and it was so nice and I I wanted to wear this blue dress and look thin and gorgeous and it didn't fit and I just thought if I get skinny this will fit, I'll be able to get the weight, you know, it'll just look nice. Anyway, that was the first time I stuck my fingers down my throat. Right. And I stuck my fingers down my throat and I vomited. Yeah. And it was pretty noisy. You learn to vomit. When, you, when you've got bulimia, you learn to vomit very quietly and you learn, oh, you, there's, it's a timing thing. You just learn all these things that you really don't know about bodies mm -hmm. but anyway I learnt to vomit and I learnt to vomit quite quietly mm -hmm. anyway I threw up and I and mum was doing the ironing next door and there was you know a gyprock sheet away and I just thought if she hears this there's she's gonna want to know what I'm doing and so I stopped and that was the first time I actually vomited I didn't really vomit at all from then until the age of maybe oh, 17, 17. At, uh, I left school. So can you just talk about the difference between anorexia and bulimia? Because right, some okay. people are suffer, suffer with one yeah. or the other. Yeah. Uh, and I think I read a statistic just earlier around 16% or so of people in Australia okay. live with some level of eating disorder, right. which is really interesting. Yeah. What are the, what are the two? How, the, how do they differ? With bulimia, um, how, the way it was with me, I just used to eat. It was like I had no off button mm. and I hated what I was doing. Yeah. And you feel, well, you know, when you overeat, you always feel uncomfortable anyway. Yeah. But no normal human being just goes and says, I'm going to get rid of this discomfort, sticks their fingers down their throat and, mm. and gets rid of the lot. And that's what bulimia is. You overeat, you stick your fingers down your throat mm. and, you know. But with anorexia, I could go for weeks without eating. You know, and when I say without eating, I would have, you know, a piece of apple. Yeah. And then I'd go, oh, I just feel so sick, you know, and I'd, you know, do a few laps or I'd go down to the gym or, yeah. you know, I'd get in the pool or there'd be some kind of physical exercise that I would do to get rid of the calories. Yeah. And if I still felt, I always felt uncomfortable with food in the stomach. Yeah. So, but there were times when I would get really hungry. So... So did you have both of those things at the same time, I or think, was there a yeah. period of time where you'd have one and then you'd... I had both at the same time, mm. but um, really the bulimia actually swung over into more anorexia yeah. because you can get to a certain point where you don't eat and you just go, it's okay, you don't eat, you know. Mm. And, you know, you're checking all the time the, that roll and mm. that roll and, you know. And I remember living with mum and dad and dad saw me in a bikini and he said, oh, you, 
Go and look at yourself in the mirror, your skin and bone, you know, your stomach's caved in. And you... Anyway, and I did, but I couldn't see that. Yeah. So it's, um, anorexia is a real body image mm. problem. Now that's, really. Um, you know? how do I say this kindly? Well, it's in your head somewhere. That was a few years ago now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I think I said that kindly enough. Yeah, you did. You're fine. You're good. You're all right. And we good. hear a lot about body image being a big problem today, yeah. but clearly it's been a problem for a long time. It has been a problem uh, for years. Yeah, and I can remember as a small child. Well, I can remember as a kid. Yeah, I would have been six. I remember going into the shop with mum and mm. buying a brown skirt and a pink jumper. And I can remember putting that skirt on and going, oh, it felt tight. Mm. And I didn't like the way it looked on me and, you know. So it was obviously there. There's stuff there from a quite a young age. Throw it into the right environment and mm. I suppose it takes off. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Wow. And so it started at about 14. So by the time you yeah. were 26, that's 12 years, almost yeah. half your life you've been yeah. dealing with that. Yeah. So what happened when you were 26? When I was 26, someone came along. I, I'd actually been to a doctor. I'd been I'd done the rounds of the medical profession. I can tell you about that later if you like. Um, anyway, this bloke knocked on the door. I would go, no, hang on, take me back a bit. I, every day, I would wake up and go, today's going to be different. Yeah. I'll eat something. I won't vomit. I'll, you know, I will be normal. I will do normal. Yeah. Every night I'd go to bed, I hadn't done normal. And i just think, oh, you know, maybe in the morning it'll change. Maybe one day something is going to happen that will fix me. Yeah. Because I had come to the conclusion I could not fix me. And you said you'd been seen doctors, etc. Yeah. Um, what's their treatment for for that? Do they have you know, Do they have any particular? Way back that... then, they just started to open an eating disorders unit. I right. think at Flinders. Yeah. Lot people didn't really talk about it. There wasn't a lot known about it, but I knew, I I knew the words anorexia nervosa and I knew the words bulimia nervosa, because one of my lecturers at college, um, took me aside one day and said, "Alison dear, I want you to read this." Yeah. So I did, and the case studies were anorexic, mm. and they all died. Mm. Um, I also went through the medical library in the in Adelaide University because my sister was a research assistant there. Yeah. And I got a library card. I got into the medical library and I just stayed there and read everything yeah. from the top shelf to the bottom shelf. In that, I found a case study of somebody who had this thing and was behaving the way I was behaving. And it was this huge relief because I thought, right, now I've got it. I've got it. Got a name, I can fix this. But you know, I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't fix this. So um, after going through all this stuff, one night there was a knock on the door, and this guy that I'd known all my life was standing there, and he did look different. And he just said, You know, you're going to die. What are you going to do about it? 
why don't you let Jesus heal you? <laughs> I just went, whoa, what? And did you did you have any faith or belief in God or Jesus at that point? Or? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I knew God was there. Oh, and I wanted to know. I remember standing in the toilets of a car park in the city after I'd just thrown up all over the place mm. and looking in the mirror and I said, God, I'll do anything. Yeah. I'll do anything. I just need help. Yeah. So I believed in God. Mm. I, I utterly believed in God. And so and when I, this guy said that, why don't you let Jesus sort of out? What did you think? My first thought was, you're the most godless person I've ever met. This guy, I, I, we'd been sort of brought up together, yeah. and he was, but he looked different, and it was his eyes, his eyes shone. So something had changed from, oh, the, from the person absolutely. you knew. Yeah. He didn't tell me what it was, though. Mm. All he said was, you know, you're going to die, and why don't, you let, <laughs> why don't you let Jesus heal you? And I started to argue with him because I didn't like him. Mm. So, you know, I said, oh, well, he said, what are you going to do? So I'll, I'll go to a Swiss health resort. Well, I don't know I'm going to get there, but anyway, <laughs> that sounded like a plan. Anyway, we argued backwards and forwards until about 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I threw him at the door and his parting comment to me was, don't let your pride stop you. He actually said, no, he actually said, you're just like your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's a, that's that, a, what a slap. That's a slap yeah, if I've ever heard just one. Just like your mother. And then he says, don't let your pride stop you. And I thought, how dare you tell me I'm proud. And then I thought, hang on a minute. Just saying that is really proud. Yeah, that's right. That's really proud. Anyway, I went to bed that night and I didn't sleep. And I just thought, what if I wake up and I'm dead? And I'm done. That's it. I'm finished. Sorry, what if you wake up and you're dead? Oh, no. What if I wake up and I find out I'm dead? It's like, you know, I was, I didn't actually, I wanted to be fixed. Yeah. I didn't look at being fixed as being healed because I didn't care about being healed. If healed meant I was going to be fat, well, skinny was going to be good for the rest of my days. You know, I didn't care about that. But I was really scared of dying and going to hell, and I knew I was going to go to hell because I'd done some terrible things. Mm. I had done some terrible things. And and I knew I could never, ever look Jesus in the eye and say, hey, I'm so good, let me in. So anyway, I went to bed and I was exhausted, you know, after this big argument I'd had till 3 o'clock in the morning and yeah. trying to defend myself. Yeah. I did sleep a bit. I woke up the next morning and I had to go up to Bury with my job. Um, and I went up to Bury. I was doing some stuff in the special school up there. And this lady, this was, Bury was my real breaking point because um, I was doing advisory work. And when you're doing advisory work, people think you know what you're doing. But I didn't. And um, anyway, I had to see this lady. She was, she had six children, and I think her husband probably wasn't a great deal of help, and they were poor. And the little boy that I was supposed to be advising her on 
and I would be able to give her this wonderful advice that would fix him, yeah. was sitting in front of me and she, she was looking at me with this expectation and hope. And I sat there... <laughs> And I said to her, I am so sorry. I've got nothing to give you. And I thought, here's this lady. She's she runs rings around me. I've never I've not got kids. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. And she wants me to give her advice. She could she could give me plenty of advice. And I just thought this is the most appalling situation because I've got absolutely nothing to give this lady. Mm. Anyway, I got in the car and went home, went to the pub, and I had my Bible with me, and I tried to read my Bible in the pub, and that didn't work. So I'd been drinking, and because um, then I went down Hindley Street. Right. And, um, and for those... That are listening that are not from Adelaide, Hindley Streets, um, yeah, pretty dodgy sort of part of Adelaide, isn't it? Lots of nightclubs yeah. and other not mm-hmm. so great establishments. And I frequented Hindley Street, mm-hmm. and I was asked to do lots of things in Hindley Street. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I ended up in the loo in this car park, and the cops got called, and I'd locked myself in the toilet, and I was vomiting. Um. And the police are standing outside this door telling me to come out. <laughs> I'm on the other side of the door going, I'm not coming out. <laughs> and they stayed there. So I just sat down on the loo and I wasn't going to come out. And they just said, you know what, you will come out. You're going to come out. So, I, you know, I just thought, so what, I came out. Anyway, they said um, they were going to put me into Glenside that night. Right. And I begged them. I just said, please, please, do not. Do not. Because if you put me into Glenside, I'm, I'll never get out. Because that's one of the things they often... They say that in a very high percentage of cases where people are struggling mm-hmm. with an eating disorder, mm-hmm. is that they also have a, a associated uh, mental illness as well. Did you feel... Like you struggling I was with that? seriously depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I managed to keep working. I don't know how I did that, but I did. But I was seriously depressed. Mm. And at times, you know, I would have time off from work and I would sit under the table and rock. Mm. It's just, you know. And I remember even when I was six, standing in the corner of the kitchen and the tears would roll down my face. And I remember mum saying to me one day, what's the matter? And I just said, I feel sad. And there was no real explanation for it. And later on, I mean, I would have been oh, maybe 18. I don't know. No, I wasn't. I don't know. I was maybe in my early 20s and I was diagnosed with depression. Right, okay. And they put me on yeah. medication, which didn't work, so I didn't take the medication. Mm. And I just thought, whatever's wrong with me, the problem has to be... F- I, I have to know why this thing is the way it is. I don't want a pill to cover it. Yeah. I need a, a proper solution here. Yeah. So anyway, I ended up, but the, the cops followed me home. They sat outside my, my door, my house, my dive, and um, then they left. 
and when the guy had seen me a couple of nights before he had left me with a phone number and he said go and see that lot up the road they'll help you and that lot up the road was the Vogue Theatre and um, he called them the God Botherers (laughs) (laughs) go and see the God Botherers he said they'll help you so off I went to work and I rang up this number and um, this man answered the phone and it was Pastor Jock. And I screamed at him. <laughs> Someone's got to help me. Help me. Wow. Help me. And he said, settle down, lady. <laughs> <laughs> settle down, lady. I'll pick you up and take you to a meeting. And I thought, so I just said yes, you know, yeah. hung up. And... Um, but prior to that, I, you know, I was, I was watching everyone. I was working in this school mm. and I was looking at everyone in the, in the lounge at recess time and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to do this. One girl over there hadn't slept the night before and another one had said, why didn't you sleep the night before? And she said, oh, oh, she said, I couldn't go to sleep. So I had half a flagon of port and then I got to sleep. But she said, then I had this terrible dream and I woke up and the other girl said, well, so what did you do? She said, I had the other fla- the other <laughs> half of the flag and I went back to sleep. But she said, I dreamed I was pregnant again. And I thought, these are these conversations. I don't want to listen to this. I don't want this. Mm. So anyway, I went home. That I walked back home from work and um, on the way home, I did speak in this language. I don't know what it was. And I met this other person who'd just come to the Lord and he witnessed to me. He said something about the Holy Spirit, but didn't explain anything. So I just said, oh, yeah, off you go. And I kept on walking home. I got home, had a shower. Pastor Jock came and picked me up. He and Helen and the girls were in the car. And I cried all the way up there. I was just a mess. Yeah. I got to this meeting up in the Adelaide Hills. So what, so what year was this? That would have been... It was December the 11th, 1977. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, Pastor Graham stuck his head in the car window and I was introduced to him. Yeah. And um, I was still crying. Jock's just gone. So when we went, and in this meeting... I walked into this meeting. It wasn't a cast of thousands, but I I think there would have been maybe 30 people there. But there were people sitting on the floor. There were people sitting on chairs. It was a cross-section of the community. It wasn't all old people wanting to get to heaven. It wasn't all young people who were crazy and hyped. Um, It was just a cross-section of normal people and they sang choruses this girl gave her testimony and she had two part Chinese children and she talked about the women's lib movement and all that and I could relate to some of that stuff and I could hear what she was saying anyway then this chap gave, gave this talk about Jonah and there were always, there's always a bunch of corny jokes about Joni, you know, he's blubbering away and yeah. so on, you know, and he'd had his chips and everybody laughed. And I remember sitting there going, 
They're going to get struck. This is the word of God. You know, you don't laugh at the word of God. Church, the, church is serious church, stuff. This is serious stuff, you know. <laughs> anyway, the end of that, the talk, um, this chap said, he said, is, does anyone want to receive the Holy Spirit? And I, I had no explanation about this Holy Spirit thing, but I put my hand up and I just thought, this is my last port of call. Mm. There's no way for me to go except back there where the cops were going to take me. And I had some prayer with Pastor Brian and um, he said, um, say hallelujah. So I said, hallelujah. He said, say it like you mean it. I thought, what? What do you mean? Say what like you mean what? He said, well, say it like you mean it. I went, hallelujah. He said, no, hang on a minute, hang on. It means praise be to God. And in my head, I'm going, praise be to God for what? I'm nearly dead. I was going to be put in Glenside. Now I'm here. You're telling me to say hallelujah. It sounds like open sesame. So what? And then he said, say hallelujah and say it like you mean it. It means praise be to God. And he said it again. And I just thought, oh. People were praying in the background. And I just thought, I've got to cut the noise out. Because if I'm going to get anywhere here, I've had, this has got to be between me and God. It can't be between me and everybody else. Yeah. And I closed my eyes and I opened my mouth and I said, Hallelujah. <sighs> and the Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit and I burned from head to foot. And there was the, I saw this enormous white light. It was huge. It was like everything in the room was irradiated and my eyes were closed. And in an instant, the first thing that happened that I was aware of was there was a switch in my head that flicked. And it was like I had been recalibrated. It was like a jolt. I've never had an electric shock, but it was. I've seen people have electric shock treatment and they kind of. Yeah. And I was different. And I was. So in that instant, you'd felt that you were different. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The next thing, and I mean, these things are a heartbeat away from each other, yeah. you know. Yeah. The next thing was that. No matter what happened in my life, and no matter how messy it was, Jesus was there, and it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. God was there. I had someone I could absolutely one hundred percent trust in my corner. And you and felt, I, and you felt that in an instant. Absolutely, wow. in a heartbeat, yeah. in a heartbeat. And I mean, the the relief was this. Other people that were in the room, I mean, Pastor Graham and Maureen and Pastor Jock and Helen and other people in the room saw what happened. I don't actually remember, but they said later on in later years, we were there. And Pastor, Pastor Brian said the other day, you hugged me. I, thought, I don't remember. I don't remember that. Helen, Helen said to me, 
you were on your knees and you were going, <sighs> and Jock said you just went, <sighs> and it was this overwhelming relief. And I, I and so what this did you, is now forty years, yeah, forty-one it's, years. It's still on. very it's emotional just, about that. It looks like it looks like it happened to you yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah. It's every day, yeah. every day. This. The Lord took me from death to life and from dark to yeah. light in a heartbeat. And what know? did you what did you think when you spoke out in tongues when you received the Holy Spirit? Oh, what did I think? I don't think I thought any. I think I thought I, I was relieved. Right. I think I was just relieved. Yeah. I was happy. Yeah. I was happy, yeah. but I wasn't aware I was happy. Yeah. But I knew I was. I mean, you don't, there's this jumble, you know. I mean, you've been in the pit of despair and depression, rocking under for a For such a long time. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. And knowing that you were going to die and knowing that your life was a mess anyway and you yeah. didn't know how to fix it and nobody else could fix you and it wasn't that people didn't try because they did. I had no shortage of support. Yeah. I had no lack of people who loved me. Yeah. You know? And no lack of people who wanted to help, but nobody could. Mm. And it was this oh, here's a thing. Yeah. This is a thing. Yeah. In my job, my boss was amazing. He was a wonderful man, this guy. And um, he was the head of the department that I worked in. Periodically, he knew how sick. Well, he knew how sick I was. He didn't know what was wrong with me. I don't think, but anyway, he he, he knew how sick I was. And periodically, he would call me up to the Kremlin. What's the Kremlin? The Kremlin, the the, the top floor of the education building. <laughs> you know? So off I'd go. And Flinders Street. At Flinders Street. At Flinders Street. And I'd sit in the chair, and he'd say, "Hello, dear, and how are you?" And I'd say, oh, "I'm I'm fine." He said, "Are you really?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You know, lying from the teeth." Every now and then he'd say, how are you really? I'd still go, on. I'm fine, you know. I never quit, never gave in. Yeah. After I received the Holy Spirit, I was walking down Rundle Street and I bumped into my old boss and he took one look at me and he said, hello, how are you? You know, he was, he was just this great bloke, you know. And I said, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful. Anyway, I witnessed to him. Yeah. And he's, he looked at me and he said, is this what you've been looking for? Yeah. And I said, yeah, this is it. Mm. And his comment was, thank goodness for that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was just, this is what I've been looking for yeah. forever. Wow. Yeah. So I assume you were baptised not long after Yeah, that. I was baptised two days after that. That happened on a Friday night. Yeah. On Sunday I was baptised. Yeah. Monday I went to the doctor. In that first week, these incredible things happened. Um, the first, well, the first thing happened on Saturday morning. I went into the, um, the the deli next door, and that man always bought cartons of cigarettes for me. Yeah. And I went in, and I bounced in through the door in my bib and brace overalls. And, um, Which were a thing back then. Yeah, everyone wore bib and brace overalls. <laughs> and Pastor Jock gave his bohemian talk, and we all behaved ourselves again. And um, anyway, yeah. So... And he, he said to me, you look amazing, you know. One day. One day. The next One day. day. Yeah, the next yeah. day. And um, so I told him. And I thought, when he said that, I thought, oh, I'm happy. 
I haven't felt like this for forever, you know. So anyway, I bought a carton of milk. He reached for the cigarettes. I could see him doing it. I said, no. Mm, mm, mm. So they stayed there for some while. Other poor coot. Anyway. And uh, so just talk about that. So did you just not, was there no desire there anymore? Or had anyone said anything to you about, you know, perhaps No, what, no right? nobody said anything. What happened? I went home from that meeting yeah. on Friday night. The first thing I did was go to the drawer and got out a cigarette and lit it and just went, you know, I loved cigarette. I mean, I loved smoking. I was coughing up blood, but I kept on going because I loved it. And I went... (laughs) (laughs) It tasted disgusting. Yeah. I have never tasted anything that foul in all my life. And that was it. Yeah. So that that went. I just chucked them. Wow. So that was the end of it. And wow. Yeah. Alcohol was the same. Yeah. Just didn't just didn't didn't. I didn't have to be told anything. It just the Lord just took, took it away. Everything away. Mm. You know. So what and else happened that first week? That first week, Happiness Saturday. Sunday I went to the meeting. I got baptized, and this amazing weight that I didn't understand about that I was obviously carrying just lifted off my shoulders. And yeah, we hear like, that we hear that often, oh, don't we, when people yeah. get baptised? Yeah. But it it was this weight that just lifted off my shoulders. Mm. That was great. Um, Monday I had to go to the GP. The GP that I'd been going to was a very nice lady. She didn't know what to do with me. She tried so hard to help. Mm. But it's hard to help an anorexic. It's hard to help anyone with an eating disorder because... You don't want to talk. It's shameful. It's really shameful when you're sticking your fingers down your throat and throwing up. But it's shameful as well when you're anorexic and you're skin and bone and people want to make you eat and you can't eat and you're ungracious. And I don't know about every every other anorexic on earth, but I lied through my teeth about what I was eating Mm. because it would get people off my back, you know? Anyway... I walked in, she treated me for hepatitis, she treated me for glandular fever. I was having six monthly checks for leukaemia at the time. And um, she just looked at me and said, oh, hello, hello. Hop up on the couch, you know. So I got on my bed um, and she examined me and she just looked at me again and she said, if all my patients were as healthy as you, I'd be out of business. I went, oh, wow. Anyway, off I went. That was that. And I don't think I went back to her again. I just didn't go. Um, The next thing that happened, I had to go to the dentist that week, and my teeth were rotting. They were in terrible shape. And, and why is that? Is that is that oh, a side effect? Or it is was that... one of the, it's it's really one of the side effects of an eating disorder. First of all, I mean it's malnutrition. Yeah. But also, if you have bulimia and you're vomiting, and I was vomiting up to five times a day, and sometimes I could just vomit yeah. at the smell of food. I didn't yeah. even stick my fingers down the throat. Um, the hydrochloric acid, acid from the stomach and all the digestive yeah, enzymes, right. they, it just rots your teeth. Yeah, and right. yeah, I had shocking gum disease and um, I could wriggle my teeth and pull them out of my gums. And gross. It, it was gross. <laughs> it was disgusting. Wow. Remember that movie Papillon? Did you ever see Papillon? I've, re- I've read the book. 
Yeah, yeah. He pulled his teeth out. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. I could pull my teeth out. But I didn't. I thought, oh, I'll put it back in, you know. So, but all my teeth had firmed up. So you, so that was that week you went that to the week, dentist? That week, mm. yeah. And the dentist, nice man he was. He was a lovely bloke. And he'd been trying to, you know, put things back together and keep things in place and fill in things and all this, you know. Anyway, he did a bit of a wriggle around and he said, your teeth aren't wriggling, they're not, they're firm in your gums. What's happened? So I told him. Yeah. And he put a rubber dam in my mouth and he's talking, you know, the way dentists yeah. are. They like to say, stick something in your mouth and yeah. they talk to you about a whole lot of other stuff and expect you right. So he put this rubber dam in my mouth and I'm telling him about what happened. So that was him done. That was the end of that. But my teeth just stayed rock solid. Yeah. I didn't have any decay after that. Um, years down the track, I had to have dental work done, but that was, oh, that was thirty years down the track. Yeah, right. Wow. So it was another, a whole other thing. N- normal, normal dentistry stuff. Normal yeah. dentist stuff. Yeah. Mm. The third thing that happened that week was my hair. My hair didn't. I didn't. It didn't fall out in chunks. Some people's hair falls out in chunks. Mine didn't. I just molted. You know, it was. You know. You know, when you've got kids with long hair, girls with long hair, the drain's always full. Well, our drain was just chock-a-block, you know. And my hair just would fall out. There was always heaps of hair in the brush and on my clothes. And like. Anyway, the hairdresser ran his fingers through my hair and he said, what happened to your hair? It's not falling out. So I told him. And he said, it's thick. Because it was. It was thick. It was shiny. And, you know, when we were kids, Mum used to wash our hair and we'd rinse it with vinegar. And it shone, and it was shiny. It was shiny like that again, you know? It was long and thick and shiny. And, um, yeah, so I told him, and the Lord had thickened my hair up. It was amazing. Yeah. What an amazing week for you. Oh, it was incredible. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And then other things happened further down the track. So, sorry, before we get there, at what point did you realise you'd been healed of anorexia and bulimia? I just started eating and I put on weight and I hated it, but I stopped vomiting. There was no vomiting anymore. That yeah. was the thing. Yeah. I didn't feel sick and I, I stopped feeling guilty. I stopped feeling guilty and I was able to eat in public. I didn't know what to eat and I didn't know how to eat and I had to learn how to eat. Mm. And I would go around restaurants and I would look at menus and I'd watch people and go, I wonder what they do for breakfast. What do you do for breakfast? You know, I'd, I'd lost all sense of normality yeah. where food was concerned. But I was just okay again, mm. you know, and I could eat cream and bread and butter and jam and well, you know, and, and pavlova, you know, pavlova. <laughs> It was wonderful. I just ate. Yeah. I just ate. If somebody had given me a bar of stuff, I would have eaten. <laughs> you know, it was lovely. It's good. Yeah. What, yeah. An, ama- what an amazing testimony. Yeah, it was that, I imagine that clearly saved your life. Yeah, I think it did. Mm. It did. I mean, I, I wasn't skin and bone like a lot of girls that I see, you know, they're 30 kilos. I mean, the lowest Obviously, I've your got, father thought you were skin and bone. 
that's what I was. Mm. Um, and the lowest I got to was maybe 38 kilos. I don't know what that is in stones and pounds. 38 kilos is very, what is very, that? very light. Is that light? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm, what am I now? 48? Yeah. 48? Yeah. So You're also not very tall. I'm not tall. No, exactly. I, I'm not. I'm not tall. You know, I'm not. I do have tallness challenges. <laughs> <laughs> Only in stature, not in personality. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise yeah, the Lord. What so an amazing, good. what an amazing but story. Because of the eating disorder, your body shuts down. You know. I mean, I had. Hepatitis. I had hepatitis when I was two, so that was like the first bout I had of hepatitis, and I don't know how that even happened. But I had hepatitis in my late teens, and then I had a couple more bouts in the twenties. Um, I had glandular fever, and I used to wee blood, you know, on on occasions. So there was obviously something not right with my kidneys. Um, but my reproductive system had just all but stopped. My fit, my period stopped, and I, I didn't have a period for a long time. Yeah. So, um, and years down the track, I found that I actually had endometriosis. Right. And I also had rupturing ovarian cysts. I mean, I was always in a lot of pain. Yeah. But that was to do with the rupturing ovarian cysts, and the doctors had said to me, you know, you're never going to have children. So. You know, at the time it didn't matter. You know, it wasn't. I would have, you know, I would have been a hopeless mother. A cat would have been a better mother than me, <laughs> quite honestly. But anyway, you know. Um, but I've got two children, adult You're children. Grandmother. Grandma. Your grandchildren. Yeah. Grandchildren. Yeah. You know, and I look at those grandchildren, and I go, "Wow! If the Lord hadn't healed me, I wouldn't have children. I wouldn't have grandchildren." I might have even managed to scrape through and stay alive because I've seen women my mm. age with and with the same eating disorder and they're still alive, but they're hiding and they can't, they just hide. Mm. They can't do anything. They, you know, they, yeah, they don't have a real life mm. and the Lord's just given me a real life, you know, and he gave me direction and, 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 he always looks after me. He does. He yeah, just he looks. Does. Oh, Ben. <laughs> oh, you know. He's, he's, he, he's always there. He's always there. He never goes. And despite what gets thrown at us, just because that's life, right? Yeah, yeah. Illness happens and sickness yeah. happens. All sorts yeah. of things happen. And, um, but he is always there. He's always there. And, it, you know, nothing really matters. I remember one of my earliest meetings, Pastor Jock gave the talk, and it was at the Vogue, and I was upstairs, and he said, nothing matters. And then he said, nothing matters again. He said it about five times, mm. and I'm sitting there going, where's it going? And then he said, nothing matters except your relationship with the Lord. And I just thought, I can do this. Mm. This is okay. Mm. I've got this. Mm. I can I didn't under I still did not understand anything. It took forever for me to really understand anything much. But, you know, the Lord's 
he's patient. God is so good mm. and he loves you and he's patient and he literally wraps you up and and puts you back together mm. and sets your feet on a pathway and says, come on, child, keep mm. on walking. Absolutely. And when you make a mistake, he says, get up. You know, it's all right. It's okay. Mm. And all you do need to say is, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Be a good repenter. That's what repentance and forgiveness you know, is all about. It's all about mm. that, you know. Mm. And don't hold the past. Let it go. Let it go. But God loves you. Mm. He loves you. He does. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your testimony. I know there's probably about three hours worth of recordings <laughs> that we could do after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, how funny We've that? already talked for an hour before we started, before oh, we turned the microphones on. Isn't um, it good? We might have to get you back for maybe a, a part two at some point. All right, mm. that's fine. Thank you. It's all good. You're welcome. Wow, thanks to Alison for sharing her story so openly and giving us invaluable insights into the world of eating disorders. Her amazing story testifies the wonderful healing power of God in the Bible and it's still available to us today through the power of His Holy Spirit. Feel free to listen to the other recorded episodes of Amazing Healings and other stories of lives changed by God. Just scroll down the page to find them or go back to your back catalogue of episodes in your podcast app. Like Alison, you too can let your past go. And if you'd like to know more about how you can access these miracles and have your life renewed and transformed, then visit www.therevivalfellowship.com or send me an email, podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com. Until our next episode, God bless.